It's time for Moment of Truth with David Moses. All right, Scano Sego Ani, Bojo Koi Tansi, and welcome to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa. And you could also be listening on the Radio Player Canada app. If you download that app and type in either 106.5 ELMNTFM or 95.7 ELMNTFM, you could be listening anywhere across the country on your device of choice, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I'd like to welcome my first guest to the show today, a fellow Six Nations uh, member and the newly elected chief, Mark Hill, to the show. He was first entered, uh, he first entered politics uh, on Six Nations nine years ago when he was just 19 years of age, and he has just been elected in November as the new elected chief for Six Nations. He also served as a, a youth advisor uh, on the youth, uh, youth Advisor Council for the Assembly of First Nations. Mark Scano, and congratulations and welcome to the show. Sago, good morning. So, Mark, uh, you have a big job to uh, to uh, fulfill here. Um, as the youngest uh, Six Nations elected chief, um, you're you're no stranger to politics, obviously, because you have already served for about uh, nine years, uh, serving as a district councillor, and you're very familiar, as I mentioned, uh, working in part with uh, as a youth uh, council uh, with the Assembly of First Nations. So, Definitely. so when you look back, does that nine years seem a long time ago? You know what? Time flies. Saying <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Um, when I look back, it you know it's I'm thankful for all for one all all the I've learned a lot over the nine years to get me to this point, and mm. also too I think it's important to I've always from different mentors um, the importance of relationship building and networking. So over the nine years, it was also um, I was also fortunate to to create the networks that I currently have today. What do you mean by that networks? So like uh, you know when uh, in any government position or when you're working with the Assembly of First Nations, you get the opportunity to meet new people who are, are in the same type of work, um, and you get to learn more what's happening within other regions across the country. And, you know, I was thankful for my opportunity during my term as the co-chair of the National, um, the Assembly of First Nations National Youth Council, uh, because of that gave me an opportunity to meet other young people who are doing uh, really important and good work around the country. And I think, you know, that's a, that's, that's important to maintain those relationships and, and maintain those networks, um, you know, because when you get into positions like this, you never know when you, could, you might need to call upon people like that. Mm. Speaking of calling upon, um, you have been called upon now to serve as the chief for Six Nations. And for those people that don't know, uh, Six Nations is the largest populated uh, reserve in Canada with about 24, 25,000 members, about uh, thirteen or 14,000 of those on reserve, with another 10,000 or so off reserve living both in uh, within Canada and also around the globe. Many people from Six Nations have gone on to do some fabulous work, as, uh, as you know, Mark. And uh, so there, it's, a, it's a big job you have, you have, you have taken on and that you, uh, you, you decided to, you know, put your, your name up there for this. And I'm just wondering... Because you you know the issues you know the issues that faced uh, Six Nations it it has uh, it has that that 
ongoing issue of, of, of being somewhat uh, called in two different areas. You've got supporters for the elected council, but you've also got many, many people that, uh, of course, su- support the Confederacy Council. And that's, that's right. always been something that's ongoing within the community. And it's always been a struggle to try to find a way to get those community, those two to come together, to work together. Um, so, so why did you decide to throw yourself in, in there? And, and what, it is, what is it that you think you can, you can hopefully pull on to, to try to get the, the elected council and the Confederacy Council maybe to start finally working together? Well, to answer your first question, I guess, you know, over the nine years that I've been as a counselor, uh, you're right, it gave me the opportunity to learn the issues and to get to know um, our community more. Um, and over those nine years, I've, you know, we've had many successes and obviously in as, uh, good leadership as well in terms of, you know, former, former chiefs to get us to this point. Um, but I think at this point now that we're at a critical point in time, um, and you see it happening across the country with younger people stepping up to the plate and, and um, taking the torch and, and trying for these positions. And, and ultimately, majority of them um, are winning, right? And so we want to be able to say that young people are ready to, to take on leadership roles in communities across um, the country. And I think, you know, in terms of uh, your next question, there's, there's been many approaches in the past by different leaderships. Um, some have gotten really close, some have worked together, some have failed, obviously, and we're not at a point, I think, that, that we can say that we're successful in, in, in working um, closely with the Haudenosaunee Confederacy Chiefs Council. But again, going back to, I feel like it's a critical point in time where um, young people, you know, we have to look at the commonalities of what are ha- what is happening in our community. And I think um, that's an approach that I'd like to take as well um, to see, you know, what, what is truly happening to our young people. We have many issues um, in our community that don't necessarily have, we don't necessarily have to continue to um, to necessarily fight or, or or use politics to get into the middle of it, um, so I want to I want to use that approach as well. I, again, I've in my campaign I've always maintained that you know I want to be able to to uh, work with the Confederacy Chiefs. What that looks like, I'm not sure, but I will continue to to reach out and see how we can further these discussions. Um, I think another important piece is just how we're. You know, we're coming up to 100 years since 1924 when, when the elected system was imposed. Um, so I think that's another, and when I, that's what I mean by like a critical point in time, is how are we going to, you know, we always talk about the next seven generations. Um, so what are we going to leave for the next for the next generations, right? Mm-hmm. So I want to be able to say, you know, it's important that we look to, to the future generations, but it's also important to look at the young people now and the issues that are facing them today. You know, Mark, you raised an interesting point there about the 100-year anniversary of 1924 when uh, uh, the Electric Council was imposed and the Confederacy Council was removed forcibly by the RCMP and the Elected Council was put in. And so, I, you know, right from the start, I guess the get-go, there was that, uh, that, that divide that was kind of set up there um, because it wasn't voluntary. Um, however... As you say, a lot of youth are coming forward. A lot of youth are, are stepping up and, and wanting to make change and wanting to see these things come through. Um, I, I guess it, the other thing, though, about that 100 years is exactly that. It, it is coming up to 100 years, and this divide is still there, you know. And, and I'm sure you've heard this in, in the past about, 
the, if, if six nations could find a way to work together, it could be such a powerhouse. It has so much wonderful stuff to, to bring to the world, you know, and, uh, and, and the people that, that are there. Just some wonderful people, and there's some just wonderful thoughts and wonderful things that could come forward. But it's trying to find that way to, to get the Confederacy and the elected council to somehow... Uh, you know, work together. So I'm I'm hoping that you 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 uh you have some uh, magic bullets in your uh, in your sleeve there somewhere that you can uh, hopefully get that to 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 go forward. But um, I want to I want to I want to move on to some other things if that's okay, because sure. the council and and the community, uh, as you know and you're aware, there are some there's some ongoing issues, uh, from infrastructure to uh, you know, education is a big thing in the community as well. Uh, you you do have a lot on your plate that you have to hand, uh, handle. Not only that, you're you're just stepping into the role as chief and taking over uh, the the elected council, which you have to get in order. And I'm sure you've got things that are ongoing right now that you're just trying to uh, do with with council in order to get things to to move smoothly. Uh, I, I I heard uh, that that you've got an SAO that's uh, retiring, and you've got a finance officer that. Uh, you're going to have to find a replacement for. That's right. So there's, you know, there again, many issues happening. You're right. Um, but I feel like, you know, you have to surround yourself with a good team and get a, you know, good good people in, in the positions. But what we're doing right now, because we realize that, you know, and again, over my nine years, I realized that there were gaps and challenges within our current administration structure. Um, so we're right now, our goal is to... Um, to go through an organizational review, um, and we want to see, you know, recommendations because out of that review, because there are many things, we don't want to go back to, like, reinventing the wheel. There, there are things that have worked, and, and we're not looking to necessarily um, fix things that, that aren't broken, but rather how can we tweak things to, um, you know, to be more efficient and more effective as an administration. Um, I think that's an important piece, and I think this organizational review um, is a key component as to how we're going to be moving forward and, and what direction we're, we're going and headed. Um, with the SEO position, again, we're, we're not going to be um, posting that job right away until we see recommendations out of the organizational review. Um, but the chief finance officer, we are looking to post that right away because, uh, as you know, that that's an important piece um, to any administration. Um, the other thing that we want to look to and we've already made is um, our interim plan. So as we go through this review and as we, um, you know, kind of await the recommendations or the results or the outcome of this review, we do have an interim plan in place and people in place um, so that business can continue and maintain and, you know, that we're actually, too, looking to, um, we need to also look at the appreciation of our staff within our administration. Mm. I think, uh, you know, that, that was another big piece for myself. It's been years many, many years that our staff has have we're finally um, doing a Christmas shutdown so our staff can, can actually enjoy the holidays with their families mm. um, and be able to take, without having to take vacation or sick days or things like that. Um, and also throwing them like a luncheon, you know, it's, mm. it's small, it may seem small, but small tokens like that I think go a long way in terms of the appreciation piece and, and the perspective of our staff. So I think, you know, we have to make sure that, that we're appreciating our staff so that they can do the best job to to um, to provide the services and programs that we do for our community members. Mm. So Mark 2020 is just around the corner. Uh, you're starting a new, you're getting, uh, you're getting things in order there, as you mentioned. Um, 
And I, I'm just wondering, you know, I, I, as we mentioned, there are there are a few things that Six Nation uh, Council and the community itself faces. Uh, you know, trying to get everyone on water, for instance, hooks, hooked up on water mm-hmm. infrastructure. I know, uh, you know, I know as a youth, you, 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 part of your campaign was run on uh, on, on getting that uh, social media involved, but not necessarily everyone is is internet savvy. Um, and trying to get your message out there and find a way to to make sure that everyone is informed. Uh, you know, I I remember when I served as uh, the uh, public relations officer at Six Nations Council. Um, you, you, you know, there's many ways of getting messages out there, and we'd still have people show up and say, "I didn't hear anything about this." <laughs> so, I'm right. sure you're going to find the same thing again. So, uh, what what do you have in, in in mind for for trying to get members informed? Well, you know, communication is key. Um, like you said, I've 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 maintained that you know we have to work on our communication here. Just not only to our community members, but internally and in how we're operating administratively. I think in terms of you know how we can best um, get commun- uh, be more communicative to our community members is again just maintaining um, our social media. I know our former chief uh, used to do YouTube videos and mm-hmm. YouTube updates, which I think um, and there was it was well received by community members. So I'd like to maintain that. Also, in terms of our our local radio stations, you know, so we're going to use every every avenue that we possibly can um, to get to get information out. But I think the other piece of of um, the coin here is that community members also have a responsibility to get informed. Mm-hmm. You know, as you as you've noted earlier, we have roughly about thirteen, fourteen thousand members on the territory. So, you know, going door to door is obviously out of the question. <laughs> But, you know, we have to, we're going to exhaust every avenue that we can to possibly get as much information as we can and to make sure that it's out there in a timely manner as well. Um, but in the same sentence, we have to also um, put the messaging out there that, you know, communities also have a response, community members have a responsibility to also get informed. Right. I just want to let everyone know that you're listening to Moment of Truth on Element FM. I'm your host, David Moses. My guest is the newly elected chief for Six Nations. And he is uh, Chief Mark uh, Hill, and uh, it, I welcome him to the show. It's great to have him on. I've been wanting to get him on since he uh, was elected uh, just earlier in November, and so it's a pleasure to speak with him. Uh, Mark, uh, the community of Six, Nation, of Six Nations has uh, many wonderful things, uh, as we talked about, some wonderful people that have done some wonderful things and have raised the profile for Six Nations uh, have 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 come out over the years, you know, anywhere from music, uh, Robbie Robertson, Murray Porter, uh, you know, but uh, of course Roberta Jameson and and other people have have come forward and really raised the profile of Six Nations. Um, but there are things that continue to to uh, be issues for Six Nations. Education is one. You know, I remember I sat on a Six Nations uh, Student Success Consortium. I'm not sure if you were. Did you sit on that? No, no, I didn't, but I do remember the consortium. Yeah, so of course we we heard about a lot of things. And of course, uh, you know, education is very important, but it it continues to be an issue. And funding, I know, seems to be an issue for Six Nations to take that over because they're not, uh, the government doesn't seem to be willing to give uh, Six Nations the funds it is requiring uh, to be par with other people, other other communities that are receiving funding from the government to do that. the other thing, of course, is that and I, I remember I was at the, the, the uh, chief's debate, so I remember you, you talking about a number of these issues, such as um, 
uh, where uh, Grand River uh, Enterprises, uh, you know, uh, is is paying a huge amount of money to the government for excise taxes. And I know that idea about trying to recoup some of those dollars or just have the money come back because the community of Six Nations did not receive anywhere close to the amount of money that it needs, and it's always being uh, clawed back. Uh, and yet, uh, you know, the federal government also owes Six Nations uh, m- millions and millions of dollars uh, for for land uh, claims and those kind of things. Um, and, and you're you're hoping to perhaps to pursue the idea of trying to get some of that money that is being paid in excise taxes come come back to the community. Do you think that's a, a reality? Do you think that can happen? Well, you know what I, I I did I mentioned this in my campaign, and and for sure I'm going to commit to continue these discussions moving forward. I think it's an to me when we talk about, when the Liberal parties talk and they talk about the you know there's no more um, the most important relationship than the relationship with mm-hmm. Indigenous people in this country. They talk about reconciliation and what that looks like. Well, we could be a prime example of, of reconciliation in regards to this issue. GRE pays roughly over $350 million in excise taxes annually mm-hmm. to the federal government. And you're right, the federal government still has yet to settle any of our land, right, land rights issues, which is actually in the trillions. Mm-hmm. You know, So as we sit here and we have community members who are living in poverty environments, who don't have water hooked up to their homes, who basically we are our lower standards of our education system than anywhere in the province or in the country, rather. You know, so that, to me, frustrates me. Because, mm-hmm. you know, when you're talking government and you're talking with government officials and, you know, they have mandates, and we all see in their mandate letter come out in terms of, you know, what the, they'd like to do over their term as well. Well, this is exactly what I'd like to do over my term as well is look at how we can, you know, look at uh, fiscal arrangement agreements um, because those, those to me, are important. And, and this, that company was, was born and raised on this territory. Mm-hmm. You know, nothing else. It, and it, it, it grew and continues to grow. Um, and they have to pay this, this um, mm-hmm. excise tax in order to hold a license to do business mm-hmm. all across the world, right? So... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we don't see a cent out of that. And if we, if the government is truthful in, in their words of reconciliation, um, then we should be able to have these conversations and see where these dis- discussions can go. I know in the past that they have tried to have them, and I know at one point in time there was a court case um, that GRE was involved in with the country of Canada. Um, but that sense has been settled. Um, mm-hmm. And I think with a liberal minority government, um, that you know, we could also gain support from from the other parties, specifically the NDPs, to see on how you know the, they could be supportive in in this issue moving forward. Because again, it all goes back to you know how can we then we've everyone in our community. We and I know you know this, David. You know they'll probably say, "Well, I'll never see it in my lifetime." The settlement of our mm-hmm. land is rights issues. Mm-hmm. Well, why you know why why do we have to have that mentality? when we can be looking at other areas until that happens, right? So I think Grand River Enterprises is another area that I'd like to focus on over my term um, to meet with the finance minister and to, to you know, f- uh, further these important discussions. Mm. And, you know, on that same issue, you, you did bring up uh, GRE as an example of uh, the tobacco industry where, uh, and you wanted to, to sort of change the dynamics because you, you also brought up the idea of cannabis. Cannabis, cannabis of course, is a is a big opportunity for many First Nations. 
Uh, you know, that's been something that's been going on in the community for a while about whether or not to get involved. Uh, but there are huge benefits uh, that could be dividended to the community through that. And, and you, you raised that example of how um, you were hoping that if, if the community were to get involved with cannabis, it would be a different setup than it was with, uh, as an example, the GRE, where very few people uh, reap the benefit of that. And you wanted to make sure that the community would benefit at large from getting involved with something like cannabis. That's, that's exactly it. The council of the day, when it, when it comes to the tobacco industry, they didn't, they, to me, they didn't really do a good job because... They didn't. Uh, there was no regulations in place. Mm. It was basically, you know, a privatized market where mm. a few individuals got to capitalize on the industry. Um, and you know, not saying anything bad in regards to to nope. you know the, those individuals and nope. capitalizing on the industry. But we now have a second opportunity, and that you know, second chances in those these types of uh, situations don't come around too often. Right, right, too. You know, the we the federal government, you know, they chose to to legalize recreational. Um, mm-hmm. cannabis, right? And again, with the duly noted that they didn't include any First Nations in that decision as well. You know, so we were not consulted as First Nations um, as to what what the impacts would be or any benefits that we would see through this um, legalization. But, you know, we here at Six Nations, we have to exercise our own jurisdiction and our own sovereignty. And I believe that that's, this is an industry that needs to be regulated specifically for the health and safety of our community members, particularly our young people, and to see that it doesn't become a monopolized industry so that we can see community contributions back to, again, the long list of needs like water, infrastructure, education, health. You know, there's there's many needs in this community, and, and I feel like that there's there's one industry right now that we can capitalize on, capitalize on to make sure that we can at least start to check off this long list of needs. Mm. Yeah, Mark, you know, uh, you mentioned, uh, as we, we talked about some of the infrastructure issues, and, and I, I'm, just, I'm just wondering, you know, what is your sense from the circles you've been traveling in? Because I know when I sometimes talk to people, uh, and not taking anything away from any of the concerns of any of the other First Nations in this country that are that are uh, suffering with many many horrible situations like boiling water and and trying to get fresh water and and contaminated water and housing and all these other things that need to be addressed and should have been addressed and uh, by the government. But um, you know, many people that I talk to are still surprised that here, right in the GTA, where Six Nations is about an hour and a half outside of Toronto in southern Ontario. Uh, that there are people in on Six Nations that still don't have water and fresh water. And the infrastructure that is available to many surrounding communities is not available to Six Nations. Do you still hear that? Are you, are, do you hear, hear those kind of things? Yeah, so majority of our homes here have to get water chucked into their wells, um, which in return we know that our wells are roughly 87% contaminated. Um, so that's another issue as to why it's so important that we continue our phases of our waterline uh, project, um, but to also see how we're going to be getting, you know, make it uh, affordable for homeowners to actually get hooked up to that waterline. You know, so that's that's another piece that this council needs to look at as to, you know, how we can be better supportive of, especially our seniors, um, you know, our fixed income families, our single mothers. You know, those there there's definitely priorities. Priorities for for people, especially those who don't have any running water, or uh, to their home currently. So you know we need to look at those those areas and how we can be best supportive in moving forward. 
Uh, Mark, we're, we're running out of time, and I wanted to ask you a couple more things. You've got the support of the community. Uh, I'm just wondering, though, as uh, a, as a, a youthful cou- uh, counselor and, and chief counselor for Six Nations, um, what, what do you, how do you think you will be seen moving in now to the, the larger uh, uh, platform that you're going to be having to carry and, and uh, sit at with the Assembly of First Nations? I know, for instance, one of the other things you thought about or had mentioned is you don't, you don't really think you need the support of, of the Assembly of First Nations, that Six Nations should be sovereign. Well, and, you know, that's just it. And, and we've, in 2017, when I was the co-chair of the AFN, we made a statement at that time to the Assembly because we were concerned with the direction that they were headed. You know, the, the mandate of the AFN is that, you know, they, they are not a national First Nations government um, and that they're, uh, basically their mandate is a, is a lobbying and coordination body to help us assist where we need it. Yeah. But I think, you know, uh, Six Nations is, is quite quite large. Like you said, we're the largest po- uh First Nations in terms of population, um, and I think that we do have we do have the power to do to do it on our own. Um, I think you know, and there are areas in um, in the AFN that I feel like they're overstepping their grounds, um, and you know, the, we're even looking at why are we creating so we're becoming bureaucratical ourselves. Mm. You know, we we often get frustrated with the government and the the constant. Um, you know, bureaucratical issues that face the government, and we're doing it to ourselves. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's my thing is, well, why are we continuing to add another body, another hoop to jump through um, when we can be bypassing that and going directly to them ourselves? Um, and I think that's an important piece. You know, obviously we know that it's important for information sharing and also what I've mentioned earlier in terms of networking and getting to know, um, you know, the other issues and the other regions and how they're... they're um, looking to solutions to fix, because we do have commonalities and similarities. Yeah. Um, but again, it's, it's, it's difficult when, you know, we come from a population of 27,000 as opposed to another First Nation that comes from a population of 2,000. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so again, our, our issues are similar, but we have, we have a larger demographic, and I think we need to take that into consideration. And, you know, I feel like we have to, uh, we have to continue to... to to monitor what the AFN is passing and doing because and how it affects us and impacts us. I, I truly think that we know, um, like you say, we have many, um, many people from this community who, who have raised Six Nations profile, uh, very intelligent individuals, and I think we have all the expertise within our community to do our own lobbying, and I we'll think we'll just do that ourselves. Nicely said, Mark. Uh, listen, uh, I, I would like to... Uh know if there's anything that you, you feel is, is you'd like to touch on that we haven't mentioned just before we go as we end the uh, year of 2019 and looking forward into the year of 2020? Yeah, well, I, I just wanted to finish too, like, you know, in terms of the, the AFN, just on the last point there. The government all, often looks at it as a one-stop shop and basically check that box off like they've consulted First Nations in this country. Mm. That's another piece that I think is important because, you know, we have to, um, and I think it's important for every First Nation that their voice is heard, and if it's not heard at the AFN or if we're opposed to certain things that they're doing, um, then it's not a one-stop shop, and they have to further that. Okay. Mark, it's been wonderful speaking with you, and I congratulate you once again on uh, becoming the uh, Chief for Six Nations. And I uh, wish you all the best, of course, over the next uh, three to four years. And, and uh, I, I hope 
that uh, we can touch base in the next few months to catch up and see how you're doing and uh, and bring in more information out about Six Nations to uh, the greater uh, community. That is so great. Thank you, David, for the opportunity. Our pleasure. Yeah. That's Mark Hill. That is Chief Mark Hill. He's the newly elected chief for Six Nations of the Grand River Territory. And uh, it's been my pleasure to have him on the show. But don't go away. We're going to come right back with more right here on Element FM after this. And welcome back to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. In Ottawa at 95.7 FM in Toronto, 106.5. And don't forget, you could also be listening on the Radio Player Canada app. If you download that app and type in 106.5 ELMNTFM or 95.7 ELMNTFM, and just follow directions, you could be listening on uh, your device of choice, seven days a week, 24 hours a day, anywhere across the country. And, you know, if someone you know is outside of our listening area and you think they'd enjoy our, enjoy our programming, please let them know that they can do that as well. And if you've missed one of our interviews and you would like to, you say, darn, I wish I would have caught that because I was hoping to get that, you can always go back uh, and listen online. It's available on SoundCloud at under element fm and you can also listen on our website so please feel free to go back and listen at your leisure okay enough of that let's get on to our interview and i would like to welcome my next guest uh, fraser thompson he is an environmental lawyer from eco justice and uh, he's here to talk about our, I, I think maybe something that's going to become more common as we move forward in this world uh, especially around climate issues so he's here to talk about uh, uh, some kids, uh, representing some kids that are suing the province of Ontario, and uh, it, it's around climate and the failure to do something about uh, living up to protecting us, uh, not only the youth, but all of us. And uh, isn't it interesting, folks, that uh, the youth uh, are uh, so, uh, so... Uh, on top of this and taking steps to do so and asking us to do so. My own daughter is on top of me, I can tell you, in terms of, uh, hey, uh, you know, what's going on? And, you know, the other thing that I, uh, that I really like about what I read about this, uh, this particular uh, lawsuit is that the age range of the kids, anywhere from 14 to about 24, say, you know, we're not the ones that are really to blame for the world as it is right now, but we're the ones that are going to have to deal with it. And that makes a whole lot of sense if you think about it from what's going to be happening that these kids over the next 30, 40, 50 years of their lives are going to have to live with the fallout that has been created. So with that, I'd like to welcome Fraser to the show and uh, say uh, thanks for coming in today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So listen, before we get into this, uh, can you tell us a little bit about... uh, EcoJustice and, and what they do. So EcoJustice is Canada's largest national law charity. We take on court cases that we say will preserve and protect the environment. Mm. And so that can that can involve, you know, in a in in a court of law, often people can't have don't have the resources to take a case to court. Often the environment doesn't have the resources mm-hmm. to take, take a case to court. So we will represent people and the planet in those cases that we believe are really important to stand up for nature and to stand up for the rights of people uh, when governments or corporations are not taking their rights into account. That's great. I, I mean, it's, it's, it's wonderful that that is able to happen. Can you give us any more background about how this came about? Why? I mean, you're, you're absolutely correct. 
the environment can't stand up for itself. It can't speak up for itself, except in the case of what we see happening now on the planet. Mother Earth is speaking up and telling us there's something out of, out of whack here. That's right, yeah. And so climate change, as we know, if, if people listen to the science, we have, we're facing a crisis. We have 11 years to do something about mm-hmm. this, or we're going to be locked into a dangerous level of climate change. And so what we as an organization have been doing is we've been trying to find ways to bring that before the courts. The science is so compelling. Once you put the severity of these issues before a judge, we believe that it will be uh, it will be a really easy case to make. Look, the future of our life, liberty, and security of the person is dependent on having a livable climate. This is very common sense, and and that's an argument we want to put before the court. So we've been we've been building up a case and and trying to figure out how best to bring this. Um, and we're approached by youth. Uh, youth obviously represent, as you were saying, sort of the best and the worst of climate change. The worst in the sense that they have the most to lose. They've mm-hmm. contributed the least to this, and their futures are going to be at risk. The youngest uh, person we represent in this case is 12 years old. Mm. In 11 years, the period we have to fix climate change, right. she's only going to be about 23 with her whole life ahead of her. Yep. So to that extent... As there would be millions of other people in, in that age as well. Absolutely, and, and, and our future, future generations mm-hmm. as well. So um, in that sense, they represent sort of the most severe threats. But at the same time, they also represent what I see as the greatest hope. Of course. They have such optimism, and I think that comes from a place of knowing that there's no other planet. We have to fix this, and they truly believe that we will. And not only are they, do they believe that, but they're also putting that into to action. The seven youth that we represent in this case are all taking action in their own way. They're part of the Fridays for Future movement, so they're striking uh, every Friday to bring and to force the politicians who should be looking after them to do something about this. And so it's an honor to, to get to represent them in court. Mm. How long has EcoJustice been doing this kind of thing? So we've been around almost 30 years, okay. and we started off as, uh, in Vancouver, mm-hmm. and we uh, now have offices in five cities across the country. We're, we're the largest national law charity. Uh, and the cases like uh, the case against Doug Ford over climate change uh, are the kinds of things that we do uh, because, you know, these youth wouldn't have the resources to take on Doug Ford in court, uh, and that's, that's what we, we help them do. Mm. Now, you mentioned resources, and of course, it does take resources to do, the, do this, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> you know, I can't help but think of, uh, of something that, that just popped into my head when we were talking about that. And, and, and it's unfortunate that uh, we have to have, you know, these, these cases come forward. We have to have lawyers get involved. We have to have uh, some, you know, uh, an organization like yourself step up to do this, uh, thankfully. Um, and and it it just is uh, it, it speaks to the to the thing that if if the world were a fair place, <laughs> it wouldn't be ne- wouldn't be necessary to have these kind of things to happen. Absolutely, yeah. Um, but so, uh, where does the funding come from? How how does you know how does this get funded then? So Eco Justice is a charitable organization. Okay. So the majority of our funds come from individuals and donations. People, you know. Uh, like yourselves, like my parents, who who care about these issues and make a donation to an organization like ours, uh, and so that's that's Canadians from across the country who who ha- who believe in those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. You know, the environment should have a voice in court, uh, and so that's that's where uh, we're a charitable organization that has built up over thirty years to do this type of work because it's so needed. 
and because it's so essential to, to our survival as a, as a species on this planet. Okay, well, well, let's talk about that a little bit right now in case someone is interested in wanting to make a donation or wanting to support you because that would, that's important. Yeah. Uh, they can do that online that's through right. your website? Yeah, through ecojustice.ca. We're obviously on all the social media mm-hmm. platforms as well, but they can they can reach out to us uh, at ecojustice.ca. And, and you also mentioned that there you're in five uh, cities? That's right. In Toronto, I know you're in Ottawa. Ottawa. Van- Vancouver, of course. Vancouver, Calgary, and Halifax as well. Right. So there you go. If you want to talk with some more, more, someone more directly about this, if you have an issue that you want to be, maybe ask some questions. Absolutely, yeah. You can We're always call one of their offices uh, in, in the five cities that they're located. Okay, so when did, this, when did these youth come forward with this idea? So the, the, we've seen climate litigation now for about the last four years. There was okay. a case in Europe that really got the ball rolling on mm-hmm. this. We've seen youth in the U.S. bringing these kinds of cases, mm-hmm. uh, and there's also other cases in Canada. But the youth in our case got together over the summer and the fall, and we, we brought them all together, and we filed. We actually commenced the lawsuit on November the 26th, and that lawsuit is what it's targeting is it's targeting Doug Ford's action to repeal Ontario's previous climate change targets. Right. So this is, this is quite a unique situation. The science is telling us we need to do more. Yep. The Ford government has actually had the audacity to say, no, we're going to do less. In light of the evidence, mm-hmm. we are going to do less about climate change. And the youth and, and I think a lot of Ontarians are upset uh, at what that means because uh, people, people know the severity of this issue and they know we need to be doing more. It sounds like the entire province should be <laughs> bring a case forward then. Yeah, and we're so we're we're like bringing the, this case on behalf of like the every seven person youth. in the province. Is yeah, what I'm saying right, absolutely. We we all have a stake in this, yeah. right? We all breathe yeah. the same air and drink the same water. Yep. Um, but these youth are bringing it as as public interest litigants. So yes. it's on behalf of the public, on yeah. behalf of other youth like themselves, and really on behalf of of everybody who depends on the environment. Which I hate to break it to some people is everybody. Yeah. Now. Um, these youth, you say they, they got together, but they're not all in one city. They're not in one place. So how did that even, how did they even get together? Was, is it something that they did online? Or are they a part of a, a group online? So they're all part of the Fridays for Future movement. Okay. And, and like, as you said, we have youth from Ottawa mm-hmm. in the south, um, Amshanong First Nation in the north near Thunder Bay, uh, and, and across the province. And these are youth who are leaders in the Fridays for Future movement. So they're all connected through that movement. Mm-hmm. We reached out to a couple of youth we thought would also be interested in this as well um, because uh, they've, they're all leaders in their own communities, all involved in environmental matters, and, uh, and all really care about the future of the planet and the future of, uh, of, of the climate. So they got together. They started uh, getting this idea. They approached you. Yeah, so it was it was a bit of a conversation. Yep. We reached out to some youth, some youth reached out to us, mm-hmm. uh, and and we really wanted this case to be about the voice of youth. Yes. So about the concerns that they represent, uh, and so we started a conversation. We got together over the summer and discussed uh, discussed what what that would look like for them, and and uh, and then got to work and and uh, started starting putting in the hours on on preparing this case and and it's a lot of work. Look, like these are these are young youth who yep. who would probably not spend their Saturdays working talking with lawyers and working on court documents and, and their affidavits. Mm. But 
they're they're dedicated to this and yeah. that and you know as lawyers we we really feed off that because it it does represent uh, optimism for the future. And, and you know you you mentioned uh, some of the affidavits you talked about uh, bringing this together and 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 sorting to sort of wanting to get this 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 case brought forward um, uh, and just spending the time to do so. And when you read over some of these, uh, some of the statements that the, the, the youth have brought, there's really some some very powerful, compelling uh, comments in there. There really is, and and like I said, as as optimistic as these youth are, there's also some really sad stories mm. about fear and and uh, uncertainty about what their future looks like. Mm-hmm. And, and this is something that we all deal with, but it's it's particularly hard for youth looking forward at at a life. That, that will be radically changed by climate change. We, we represent uh, a youth from, from Temiskaming First Nation, and she's Algonquin, she's part of the Caribou Clan, mm. and among the other you know, huge amount of, of issues and problems and fears she has over climate change, uh, one of the things that she's expressed to me and expressed in her affidavit is, is a fear about what uh, the fate of the Caribou would mean, not only for, for the Caribou Clan and her community, but also sort of their their teachings and and uh, if if climate change affects the caribou, which it's which it's expected to do, mm-hmm. what that means. And so uh, there's there's another youth we represent, Alex, who's a an entrepreneur from Ottawa, and we often hear about the business case, you know, not to do anything about climate change, mm-hmm. but she she knows that she runs a business. She's worried about the economic impacts of climate change about. Mm-hmm what a climate destabilized future means for her running her business as a young entrepreneur. And these are very well-founded opinions. These youth are well-educated. They know the science. They know that the studies have been done uh, about what the impacts of the economic impacts of climate change will be. And so uh, the the stories that they do tell are really, really powerful. Uh, But the, the sad part about that is because they're based in, in some really significant fears. And so you know, fears, uh, I guess, are on both sides, and maybe that's one of the reasons why I think that the 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 idea of of not taking action is one of the things that are propelling people to not move, and that is change. One, mm-hmm. two, the impact of doing something like that will mean it's going to affect somebody's bottom line somewhere. Yeah, and uh, that's. It, but but I mean, let's go back a hundred years or. A little more than hundred years when the when the, the in, you know the the industrial revolution took place, I'm sure that impacted a lot of people and had the the entire society upheaved as well. Uh, there was probably a lot of manual labor jobs that were affected, um, and there were probably a lot of people that were employed that were put out of work. However, we came through that okay. And what I'm saying is, if we look at this a different way, Th- those jobs could be turned into more in, into producing green energy. There, there could be other ways for people to gain employment out of this as well. Absolutely. And, and we know that we have to transition to a low carbon economy. Mm. And, and that does present opportunities. We mm-hmm. can make a more just, equitable society where uh, we have good, good green jobs that employ people, have more stable work. But I think at the point that we're at now and what we know about climate change not acting is simply not an option anymore. We mm. know that it's bad and it's going to get worse. Uh, and and that's, uh, that's a reality that we have to recognize for the youth, for, for future generations, but also for ourselves. And uh, so we're seeing so much work being done on, on this, on the concept of, of a just transition, making sure that we transition to uh, a post-carbon economy 
we know how to do that. The it's it's all based on available technology, and mm. other other places are already doing that. And we've just got to get get to work and and recognize that you know change is going to happen whether we like it or not. Let's make it a good change. Let's make it a positive change where we can build a better world. I'd like to let everyone know you're listening to Element FM, and this is Moment of Truth in Toronto and Ottawa, 95.7 in Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto. My guest is Fraser Thompson. He is an environmental lawyer from EcoJustice, and we're talking about uh, an application, a court case uh, challenge is being brought forward uh, by youth, and it's uh, challenging the uh, Ford government or the province of Ontario both and or how is that uh, being put into context? So the case at its at its core is about it's challenging the Ontario government's decision to to weaken Ontario's climate change target. Yes. And what that will do is that will so it's it's being named against the Ontario government and their actions right. in, in regards to climate change. So I, I'm assuming that you move forward with this with some some uh, sense of hope. You've looked at it and you think there's probably some a realistic chance of of success with this. Um, what do you see as as potential challenges as you go through and move through this? So the way that we have have structured this case, and obviously we wouldn't be bringing the case if we didn't think that we, mm-hmm. we had chances for success. Mm-hmm. And what we've seen over the last five years is across the world and, and even in the US and even across Canada, the science is so clear on climate change that courts are starting to, to rule and, and force governments to act. And this, the first case that was brought on this was in 2016 and, and, and successfully ordered the, the government of the Netherlands to, to increase its ambition on climate change. And since that time, there's been a slew of cases predom- predominantly brought by youth uh, to challenge their own governments. And that's exactly what we're doing in Ontario. The Ontario government has, failed, has withdrawn uh, uh, what was what was a fairly strong target and replaced it with a weak, totally inadequate, and what we say is unconstitutional target. And so we we will be challenging that in court. And and the next step of the case will be uh, will be uh, filing our evidence. Uh, and and we do hope because, as you said, this is such a such a pressing issue. Mm-hmm. We do hope to have this before the courts by the end of the year. Or sorry. By the end of next year, I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> by the end of 2020, um, courts don't work that quickly. Mm. But uh, we're hoping to get to get a, a hearing before a court in in uh, before the end of 2020, and uh, because that's what that's what not only our clients want, but I think that's what all Ontarians uh, who are concerned about climate change want. They, they want this to move forward as quickly as possible. So listen, what, what can people do that are not involved with this? I mean, this is, but is there anything that people can do to help with this case at this point? If they want to say, well, you know, this is great, this, they're doing this, but how can we, how can we help? How can we support this? So uh, as you mentioned early first, earlier, first of all, people yeah. can donate to the case yep. and donate to the legal fees. This is yep. obviously a, a lengthy legal proceeding. Yep. Um, but secondly, um, the the other thing that people can do is support the youth that we represent are mm. part of this movement, the Fridays for Future yes. movement, which yes. I think for for the first time in a while has has injected a lot of optimism into the climate debate. We saw thousands of people in the streets of Toronto in the fall and millions worldwide. Mm-hmm. And uh, I I was previously living in Alberta in one of the rallies that was held out there, sort of in the heart of in the heart of oil country. Mm. There were about ten thousand people in the streets mm. on climate mm-hmm. change. So I think people are really starting to put aside this, 
the sort of the the the, the doubt and the this sort of pessimism and really are believing that look this is such an important issue we need to do something about mm. this uh, so I would say if if people are are wanting to get involved uh, to support to support the youth to have conversations with people in your lives about how important this issue is mm. and and to to learn uh, to learn about climate change you know the more I personally learn about climate change not only the more the more concerned I am, but but the more motivated I am to act. Mm-hmm. And I think politicians can get away with things like reducing climate action if people don't know the facts. And the facts are are so compelling that no one can no one can look at at the best available science and say we we should do less. You know, uh, as you were talking there, and you talk about politicians getting away with things, and it brings to mind that that this climate issue is is making us, whether we know it or not, uh, m- making us look at our way of life and the way we do things, period. Uh, short-term vision is not in our best interest anymore. Politicians have a four-year you know, mandate. They, you know, maybe they move on. They, they think they can, you know, don't have to worry about it. I'll put it off to somebody else. But th- we can't do that anymore. That kind of thinking is not going to sustain this world or our societies anymore. We have to, as you say, everyone has to take responsibility to step up to the plate and say, we can't just, I, it can't just be about me. I have to think of the bigger picture, you know? Oh, maybe I won't get elected. Okay. Well, maybe it's time to start thinking that way because it's in the best interest of your grandchildren or your children or this planet. And we have to take a, a, a different look at things and start planning that way. Yeah, and I, and I think... I think, first of all, climate change is getting to the point where, and we saw this in the last federal election, that it is a, a slow-burning issue, mm-hmm. right? But we are starting to see more and more of the effects of climate change happening every day. When I was younger, this was, this was a, a future issue. But mm-hmm. people are being impacted. We're seeing more intense and frequent forest fires, yep. more intense, frequent uh, heat waves, and just a slew of other other impacts that people are really seeing, and so I think I think politicians are hopefully starting to understand that, uh, and and are starting to realize that this is not only good for their grandchildren and future generations, but this is also something that the people, their electorate, want. Mm. You know, uh, it's interesting. Uh, yeah, it can't be partisan. Is, these are not partisan issues. Everybody should be. You know, and it's unfortunate that we still see that happening now. We saw some of that happening in the last election. But um, you mentioned slow burn. (laughs) And it's interesting uh, that you use that, that it seems like it was was simmering for a long time. uh, 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 Scientists were telling us this for a long time. And no one was really paying attention. And yet they were trying to get the point across that something had to be done. Now, I remember it wasn't that long ago that that 11-year uh, time frame was a little bit longer than that, and all of a sudden it dropped. Mm-hmm. Now, who's to say that can't happen again mm-hmm. you know, if we continue to do this? And the time frame is is even shorter than we realize. So it is important, you know, just like this case is important, and even that is going to take a year to get through and and start doing anything. So um, we all need to, you know, as, as I see and I meet more people and I interview people on this show, I see all kinds of issues that are impacting this planet and we hear about plastics and we hear about 
you know, uh, just pollution that is mm-hmm. affecting our water. We, these are the things we, we, we rely on to breathe and live on this planet. And everyone is affected. That means politicians. That means everyone. doesn't matter where you are or what you do. You will be affected by this. And if people, and I hope people don't think that they're above this somehow, that, that they're not going to be affected because that will be the downfall of us. Mm-hmm. So let's hope that these youth that you have coming forward, bringing this case forward to challenge uh, and, and make sure that we are uh, uh, following through on things we should have been doing and we hear, see more and more of this. We already see that, as you say, we've seen a lot of youth pe- coming forward and, and thankfully for them. Greta Thunberg is a perfect example that has brought this issue to the forefront as well. And let's, let's hope that they are, and we all, come to see the light in terms of, of making f- sure that we do the right thing for ourselves and for our environment and for this planet that we call home. What have we not talked about that, that you feel is important to mention? Uh, I think one thing to keep in mind is that, uh, you know, as, as much as this case is being, being brought by youth, we as, we as adults also have a huge responsibility. Yep. We, we um, you know, the, the, the youth climate movement is bringing this optimism, but, but the youth are only having to stand up because we haven't done that. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's important as adults to think of, you know, what kind of a legacy do we, do we want to leave uh, for our children? And, you know, it's not too late, and this doesn't mean you have to radically change your life. Uh, it's just about being involved in, in, in doing something. And, and, you know, oftentimes it's, it's paralyzing to think of, look, these issues are so big. But the people that I know that are the most optimistic about these issues and the people that, that hold out hope for the future are just doing something. And mm-hmm. as soon as you do something, you realize that there's others doing something as well. And it can really have a, a, a positive effect on your soul. And so um, I would just say that, uh, you know, once you take that first step, you realize that, you know, we, we can fix this crisis. And, and that's something that I'm regularly reminded of by, by these youth. You know, a, a good point. Uh, we often think that, what can I do? I'm only one person. So you're absolutely right. And, you know, as you say, you, you meet other people and you will feel good if you take and do something that is, is the benefit of your, for not only for yourself, but for others as well, and this planet on the whole. So uh, nicely said. And uh, uh, once again, uh, Fraser Thompson is an environmental lawyer uh, for EcoJustice. You can uh, find out more about EcoJustice and if you want to support and donate to the cause and this case that is going forward, you're, you can do so by going to, f- to ecojustice.ca uh, on, online. Find out more about them if you have questions about maybe what you might be able to do to help out with uh, EcoJustice. Uh, you want to get involved. Or with something else, you have uh, an organization that you think you want to uh, have questions to see if there's uh, some way you can you can challenge uh, to have something done for the benefit of the environment and for the uh, climate change. Uh, reach out to them again. Go to their website, ecojustice.ca, and that is that is e c o j u s t i c e dot c a. And uh, Please feel to feel to do so. You can also make donations to support them online. You'll see a page that goes to their donation page and uh, gives you some options there. So uh, I just want to say uh, uh, thanks and yawa miigwech to Fraser Thompson for coming in and speaking to us about this today and bringing this uh, important issue and these these great kids that have uh, taken the strength to come forward and challenge uh, this and uh, the the government of Ontario and uh, Premier Doug Ford for uh, not uh, uh, 
stepping up to the plate and f- going backwards in terms of uh, doing something for uh, that would help uh, benefit uh, l- uh, mitigating the the consequences of uh, uh, of carbon in the in in the in the air and uh, uh, and making us do the right thing to move forward. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure having you. So all the best. And I hope that uh, you'll come back and maybe you can give us an update on things, how, how, how they're going. I'd be happy to. That would be great. Thanks again to uh, Fraser Thompson for coming in and speaking with us here on Moment of Truth and Element FM. That's the show for today. Thank you for listening. And we'll see you next time on Moment of Truth in Toronto and Ottawa. Until then, onigiha.